0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning, good morning. Uh, I'll be, uh, thank you, Victoria, uh, for reading today's scripture. Uh, She's part of the youth group here. And for those of you who don't know me, or if this is your first time, my name is uh, Edward. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the youth pastor, and I'll be delivering God's word to you this morning. Today's passage is titled, I guess, roughly, stuck or getting unstuck in our why-me's and how-comes and why-not's to go along with our series that we've been doing for the past month. And so today we find ourselves in the book of James, chapter 1. But to open up our sermon today, let me ask you something. If you could ask one question of the Lord right here, right now, what would you ask? If there's a riddle With your walk of faith, that your walk with God, that you would like to present before your Redeemer, what would that be? Maybe you never gave it some thought, so let me throw some things at you. Maybe you don't understand why your life has had so much difficulty, and you thought that being a Christian was a life of blessing. Or perhaps you think that these moments in your life is, you think that moments in your life you just lack wisdom. And you know that your Lord Lord is the ultimate source of wisdom, but there are moments where you just feel like you just lack it, and you don't know why. Or maybe you recognize that there's just way too much anger in your life, that you experience way too much conflict with people, with situations, and you don't understand why, and you ask yourself, how come? Or maybe you know that God's sovereign, Yet you know, you know that you're supposed to plan. You know that you're supposed to be responsible for certain things, but you don't know the balance between what you're responsible for and what you can entrust to God. Maybe you really struggle getting the best out of God's Word. It seems fine when you come together on a Sunday worship like this, you're getting it, but at the privacy of your own home, when the Word is right before you, like the Word of God is just alien language to you. Or maybe there are moments where you feel like you are the most insignificant, unrecognized member of the body of Christ that you could easily slip in, slip out, and no one would take notice. Or maybe there are moments where you wonder if your prayer makes any difference at all. Why have I proposed these questions to you this morning? Because these are the things that our mind can easily get so fixated on. These are the things that our minds and our life can rest in so deeply that we end up living in our depravity rather than living under the saving grace of Christ. And so to help us to get unstuck, today we look at the book of James. Now the genius of this book that we're about to look at is that it's not some amazing theological exposition. No, that's, that's the book of Romans. But what is so beautiful about the book of James is James is like, it's like Christianity at street level. In all of its confusion, in all of its messiness, in all of the struggles, there's not a person in this room who hasn't struggled with his or her faith. And the message in the book of James is that the gospel is so expansive it is so sturdy, and the person of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is so powerful that we need not be afraid of, the, of our questions. That we need not be afraid to come to God with our fears. In fact, He welcomes it. He makes room for it. He says, come with it. Bring it. Ask me your whys. Ask me your how comes. Ask me why I am putting you through this. We can look at those issues in the face and we don't have to run from the questions of life. And what I love about the book of James is that James is a portrait of a struggle. The struggle of faith in this broken and fallen world. And so today, I'm going to break up our sermon into the verses. Usually I have three points, three parts, but those three parts parts today are the verses. Today we read about suffering people. James is writing to these tribes. And it appears that as you read the book of James, that James is concerned. He's concerned about the kinds of attitudes and the behaviors that are now creeping its way into the church. And so he writes a very practical letter. Looking at those difficult issues that all of us face as we walk with God. So look with me in verse 2 right now. In verse 2. It says, Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, whenever you read scripture, it is very important to notice words. When you encounter trials of various kinds. Now, note, it doesn't say if. You wish it would say if, because if it said if, then there's a way out, there's a loophole. But there is no if, it's a when. Maybe right now you're the person who, wouldn't, who thinks you wouldn't have to face trials of various kinds. Well, can I say this to you? Buddy, <laughs> there is no if. It's a when. And that's not a mistake. That is not an accident. There is intention to that. And that's something I'd like to touch up on later. Now notice the words here. He says, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now... Although James is speaking to people who are facing persecution, he's expanding the application of the experience and he's expanding it to you and I. James wants us to understand that in some way, suffering, difficulty, asking the questions of why's and the how comes, this is the universal universal experience of every believer. All of us will face difficulty of some kind. It could be those momentary difficulties that are just the irritants of this fallen world. Or it could be those huge life-transforming difficulties where on the other side you're going to say, my life is not going to be the same anymore. I cannot preach the same way. I cannot look at scripture the same way. I cannot view the world the same way. And I said there's a, Now I said there's an intention here. You need to understand that you cannot separate your Savior from your trials. They go together. They go hand in hand. The theology of Scripture does not allow you to do that. And Paul makes that very clear in Acts 17, where he says that God is in careful control of the details of every experience in our life. He says this, that God chooses the exact place where we would live in the exact length of our days. Now, what does that mean? That means God is in the middle of your questions. That God is in the middle of your troubles. And that you can never, ever have a biblical view of Christianity and somehow put God outside of your trials, outside of your troubles. God is in your troubles. And so if you recognize that, maybe perhaps immediately what you're asking, it begs the questions of, okay, well, if He's in the middle of our troubles, why would God allow so much difficulty in my life? Especially when the Scripture says everywhere that God is a God of love and that He loves His children. Why would He have me, why would He have all of us go through that much torture, that much trials and tribulations? Why can't redemption be any easier? Why can't sanctification be any easier? Maybe and maybe you even ask, well, if he's a God of love, why doesn't he just come down to earth and get rid of all sadness, get rid of all grief, get rid of all poverty and war? These are the questions that we can constantly ask and constantly be fixated in. To some degree, it's a mystery. But then to the other degree, it shows a lack of self-knowledge. What I mean by that is this. The Bible says, and we know deep, deep down, that so much that is wrong with the world is wrong because of the human heart. So much of the misery of life here is due to the selfishness, the pride, the cruelty, the anger, the oppression, war, and violence. Which means, church, which means... That if Jesus Christ had come to earth with the sword of God's wrath in his hand against evil, none of us, none of us would live to tell about it. We all have evil and self centeredness deep inside of us. However, by the grace of God, Jesus didn't come with the sword in his hand, but he came with nails. And God didn't come to bring judgment. But he came to bear it. Part two. Take notice, church. The next phrase. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now that is a power-packed phrase. First of all, he says, for you know. For you know. It's like he's speaking to people whom he thinks should not be surprised by what, by what he's about to say next. For you know. If you have embraced the theology of the sovereignty of God, that means that you have recognized the fact that you are not in control of your life. God is. That you don't write the story of your own existence. God does. Then it should not be surprising if you grasp this, that God is in the middle of your trouble. God is in the middle of all your questions that you ask. God is in the middle of all your situations. And He's using that trouble for some kind of purpose. That should not be a surprise to you. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now it gets interesting though. It gets very interesting. Because James brings up the fact that we are to be tested and tried. Now what does that word mean? When you hear the word test, do not think of it as a school exam, as a quiz. Do not think of it as a pass or fail, okay? But think of test as a metaphor. In fact, the word itself is a metaphor. Let me explain what I mean. And I'll use the world of metallurgy. What? When a metallurgist mines a metal, he finds it in its ore state. Now, ore has an intrinsic problem. The problem is imperfections. There are imperfections in that metal that rob it of its highest strength and that rob it and it robs it of its highest beauty. It would make no sense whatsoever for a miner to find an ore and to leave it as it is. Now I would propose to you. If any of you are wearing jewelry this morning, you're not wearing ore. Ore is ugly. There's nothing attractive to it. And so the meddler just knows that he must do something quite radical. He must take the ore through an intense process. He must melt it. He must boil it. He must morph it. He must modify it in order to bring it to its highest state, highest strength, and highest beauty. Now, if you haven't caught on yet, that's exactly what James is talking about. These trials that God ordains to bring into your life are for the purpose of your refinement. Now, allow yourself to be humbled. In case you hadn't realized what that application means, is that your Redeemer, Jesus Christ, looks at you in the here and now. He looks at you in the here and now, and he sees remaining imperfections. Are you resisting that? Don't. (laughs) If you don't think those exist in your your life, and you're a wife, ask your husband. If you're a husband, ask your wife for some counsel. If you're a parent, ask your children. And if if you're a child, ask your parents. What I'm saying is clearly, if you are able to reflect on this past week... You know that there were imperfections in you that were revealed. You did not always say the right thing. You did not always choose the right thing. You didn't always act the right way. You didn't always think the right things. In a variety of ways this week, you demonstrated your need of refinement. Now notice, it's even more specific than this. There's a particular character quality that God is working on in all of us that's essential for our growth in grace so that we know what to do with our whys and how comes. And James names it in this verse, steadfastness. These trials of life, these difficulties of life that are the object of God's grace are meant to produce something specific in you. It's steadfastness. Now, steadfastness has two different aspects to it. One, it's having a fixed direction. And two, a firmness of purpose, no matter what. Steadfastness is steadfastness because it's steadfastness. It's that fixed direction and that practical firmness of purpose, no matter what God brings into your life. Now, think about that what's the fixed direction what's that practical purpose this is great this is this is beautiful the fixed direction is this god has chosen you by his grace to be part of his agenda on earth god has chosen you to no longer live for the little purposes of self but to begin to find joy in living for the expanse of purposes of god's kingdom You have new meaning in life. You have a new purpose. You get to get up in the morning and you get to get up to the big country sky of God's kingdom. You're excited. You're enthused because your life now has eternal meaning. It has an eternal purpose. You're part of the most significant work in the universe. Praise God for that. Church, you're part of the grand story, you're part of the grand narrative, you are in the middle of what God's purpose is, just like the Israelites who were left, who were taken out of Egypt and taken to the promised land. We too are like the Israelites, we too are part of the grand story, and we're being taken out of our Egypt and eventually brought back to the Garden of Eden, the garden where perfect worship once was and will be, we are part of his story. That's our direction. That direction then results in a firmness of purpose. That means practically, we have a reason for speaking the way we do. We have a reason for conducting relationships in in a certain way. We have a reason for using our money in a certain way. We have a reason for using our time and energy in a certain way. We have a reason for thinking certain things and desiring certain things. You see, the fixed direction now has colored every aspect, practical aspect of your life. You have purpose in your life. Now, if you're a believer... If you love Jesus Christ, if you know Him, do not ever think that you don't have purpose. You have purpose. And He's working it in you right now, in the midst of your troubles. Now what does steadfast mean though? We talked about its two aspects, but what does it mean? It means in the face of difficulty, I do not abandon that direction and I do not forsake that purpose. Here's the thing. You can't work that up in you. You can't work that yourself up in that. That heart, that steadfast heart is only ever, it's only ever the product of the operation of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that grace comes to you and me. Are you ready for this? In uncomfortable forms. It comes to us in uncomfortable forms. Because the principle is this. God will take you where you haven't intended to go. In order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. That's grace. That's grace, church. And we need to be comforting and encouraging one another in, very, in, in, in uncomfortable grace. Because in this time when you need to be refined, often the grace of the Lord will come to you in uncomfortable forms. That's why James says, you can look at those trials and experience joy. Because those trials are no longer, to you, a sign of God's unfaithfulness and inattention. Those trials are a sure sign of His transforming love and amazing grace. Now, you can't look at that without reflecting your own heart. Think about it. Isn't it true that the way you respond to difficulty will always reveal what the product of your heart is? The way you respond to trial will always expose the true values of your heart. Now I wish I could say that I always respond in a very holy way, but sometimes I don't. In fact, I'll probably say most of the times I don't. I don't respond in holy ways when I have a difficult week. Can I be honest with you, church? And I know maybe you can relate to this, but sometimes I come to church on Sunday mornings and I don't want to sing happy, happy, joy, joy songs first thing in the morning. I don't. I, I don't. And I wish I could say, Lord, I, I, I prefer to be holy than, than, than to be comforted, than to, to live in my own comfort. I wish I, wish I don't have to schedule around you. <laughs> I wish I could schedule around my own wants and desires. Sometimes we have difficult weeks. But it is in hope that, as God reveals Himself more and more to you and I, that we would give way to thinking and say that His way is better than our way. Now think about this: if your heart is ruled by comfort, then you're. Pre- oh. If your heart is ruled by comfort, then you're pretty angry when you're into the second day of a family vacation that's been chaotic. No. Well, that chaos is ruled by God's grace. If your heart is ruled by power and control, you'll be very discouraged and disappointed when your life seems to be out of control. When people are doing things that that are not specific or detailed in in the exact way that you like to do things. If your heart is ruled by the affirmation of people around you, you struggle with depression. You struggle with discouragement. You struggle with disappointment. When you're not receiving those affirmations, I would ask you this morning what does the response of your heart to difficulty reveal about what is actually functioning or ruling your heart? Perhaps we do not take joy in the face of difficulty because our agenda for our life is different than the agenda of our Redeemer. How high? How high on your value system is a life that in God's eyes is holy? Part three. Let's look at the fourth verse. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now this passage is a huge comfort. Why is it a huge comfort? Because there's nothing in your life that's beyond the work of redemption. There is nothing in your life that moves beyond the arms of your Redeemer. Now that should be a huge comfort to you. But there in this passage is a call. The call is this. Let steadfastness have its full effect. You see, it's only when you remain under the heat of those difficulties that you begin to receive the transforming grace that is the purpose of those difficulties. But here's the temptation that we all face every time. You begin to permit bad attitudes in your heart. You begin to question the goodness of God. You begin to doubt his love. You begin to wonder if he actually is as good as the Bible says he is. You begin to give yourself to sort of an attitude of, of impatience and irritation. I don't know about you, but perhaps I give myself to envy. I begin to look at other people's lives, and I say, well, geez, well, what, what do you have that I don't? I compare myself. Look at you all, happy, happy, joy, joy. Well, what do you want, a cookie? You know, I, I don't know. I'm just saying. But you see, those aren't the attitudes of joy. I am bringing God into my court. And you know what I'm saying? I'm saying to him, you are unworthy. Those attitudes then begin to move into bad habits. So I reason, God, you know my prayer. My prayer just doesn't seem to be doing anything. Do you even listen to my prayers? How many times do I have to ask these questions to you? How long, O oh Lord, will I have to go through this? I begin to back away from my, dealing of, from my reading of the Word. I begin to distance myself with my Redeemer. I reason. See what I am doing, and what you may possibly do as well, is because you've allowed yourself to question the goodness of God, you are beginning to back away from the call of God in terms of that practical direction. The firmness of purpose. And what results in the long run is a level of coldness in your relationship with God that would shock you, probably that would have shocked you in the early moments of your faith. You begin to feel comfortable and you begin to distance yourself with your Redeemer. And that is why James not only says that steadfastness is the gift of grace, But steadfastness to you and to me is a call. My call to you, the Lord would say to us, is to remain steadfast, steadfast, even in the most difficult times. Why? Why? So that this grace of testing would have its full effect. Look at the words that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Isn't it wonderful? To think that your redeemer will not relent. He will not sit down. He will not quit. He will not quit on you. Until you absolutely are in full possession possession of everything he deemed to give you. And what he gave you was his son. To live and to die and to rise again. That is amazing. There will be a day church. When you will stand before him, and you will lack in heart and behavior no good thing, you and I will be completely and fully formed into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you know you're not there yet. If you think you are, let me tell you, you're not there yet. (laughs) And so the refinement will go on. And it will go on and on and on. It's weird. Usually I'm used to seeing Ken around here, so to hear from this side of me. <laughs> That means that you will encounter things that you never would have chosen for your life. No way. No way. Those things are the, res- are the result of God's unrelenting grace. Church, as, a, as my last encouragement to you, your Lord is a Lord of perseverance heart and life transforming grace. He's a God of grace. He is a God of grace. He is a God of grace. And I want to say to you this morning that as we close, that you'll experience the deepest and fullest of joys in this fallen world in your questions and in your struggles, when you can look your difficulty in the face and see in the middle of those difficulties a God of glorious grace. Count it all joy because your Lord is not satisfied. He will not quit. He will work and work and work and work in those small moments all the way up to the big moments of your life to complete the work of His transforming grace that He has begun. Be honest with Him this morning. Be honest with Him that you don't always remain steadfast. Be honest about the way that you question His goodness. You grow lax in your obedience and seek once more the forgiveness that He he purchased for you on the cross. I say these things because in reality, we can never get unstuck from these things. We will always be stuck in some degree or another, in some things, or in one thing for the rest of our life. But in that moment, that you would rest upon God's amazing grace, knowing that He is in the middle of your troubles. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for you are unrelentingly at work, to complete the work that you have given us. Thank you that, by grace, you are working steadfastness in our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would not only receive the comfort of this passage, but we would receive its call as well. That we give ourselves to a fixed direction, a firmness of purpose, even in the hardest moments of life, even in the biggest questions of life that we will look at those moments and see your presence and see your grace. We pray this in the sweet and strong name of Jesus. Amen.